If you were here last week, we're going to do a quick review. If you weren't here last week, uh, you can check it out on the website, pick up what we might have left, lost, left behind. Um, the title of the message is Unity in the Body of Christ. Unity in the Body of Christ. As I said last week, you know, I, Jim McCracken, when I was first being taught and mentored a little bit by him when I was become pastor, he always said, Mike, whatever you do, preach on the delicate topics when, when there's no sickness in the body. Now, I said last week, we're talking about unity. And I want to assure you that we are so blessed that the unity that's in this church and has been in this church, but we're also reminded that unity can be lost very quickly. And when we're going into advancing in the kingdom of God, when we're, we feel like God's calling us to projects that are bigger than us, it always leaves room for strife or division to come in. And even when there's nothing big in the future that we don't see, there's always potential for strife and disunity. And nothing will kill the move of God in our lives or in this body quicker than that. So we know the enemy would love to bring disunity into the body. And if you want to just look at a more practical example, even in the body of Christ, the church, look at marriages. Any of us ever think that our marriage is beyond attack, we are deceived and we are ready to be attacked. You know, the enemy wants to destroy anything that's God's idea. Marriage is a covenant that God established. The church has been established by God. It's his church to carry out the mission here on this earth. And the enemy hates it. So as we're looking at unity and talking about unity, I think it's something that we can apply personally in our lives to our relationships, but it's something specifically we can apply to our church and our corporate gathering as the body of Christ. I mentioned a couple weeks ago about passion, a compelling force. It's something that moves us, whatever it is we're passionate about. And we should be passionate about the things of God as Christians. We have been saved from eternal separation from God. We have been saved from the consequences of sin. We have been saved from spending eternity in hell and the torments of hell. We have been saved from all of that. And it should create in us a passion. In Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, do with all your heart as unto the Lord. Whatever you do, give it your all. That's what God is saying. Unto him. I mean, whether you're in the, whatever it is in the workplace, whatever God's called you to, whatever it is, you know, it's all ministry if we have the right attitude. We're doing whatever it is we do unto the glory of God. Some people say, gee, I wish I was called to ministry. You are called to ministry. You are an ambassador of Jesus Christ every single day of your life. The world is watching you. The world is observing how you react, how you respond to different things, how you live your life on a daily basis. They are watching you. Your ministry, very, very basic ministry, is to be a testimony and a witness to Jesus Christ in the way you live your life. It's a ministry. Passionate. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor in Romans. Never be lacking in zeal. Keep it. It takes some doing, especially in the world when there's a million distractions. Second thing I mentioned was purpose. And I described it as kind of a key that fuels our passion. What is your purpose? The world is looking for an explanation. What am I here for? What is my purpose? Well, in the big picture, at a basic, basic biblical level, it is you were created to bring glory to God, period. Start there. That's your purpose. But as a church, we take these things in our personal lives and in a church. What's our purpose that's going to fuel our passion? We believe that Victory Christian Church is here to help people discover and experience the abundant life in Christ. 
to discover experience, to discover Jesus, who he is, what he's done for you, surrendering our lives to him, and then walking out that life as a born-again believer in Jesus Christ and experiencing it. And unity, the third level. Ephesians 4.3 said, make every effort to keep unity in the spirit through the bond of peace. We'll spend a little more time on that, but notice unity. Keep it. Unity in the spirit. As Pastor Bob was teaching this morning in a Bible class, you know, when the Holy Spirit lives and dwells in us, there is, it, it's, it's united with our, our spirit. And the, the writer here says, do everything you can to keep unity. It's there. The unity that God is talking about, you know, we talked some time last week about John chapter 17, Jesus' prayer. Praying that his disciples may be one as he and the Father are one. Wow, that's unity. Being one, united in purpose, united in our affections, united in our passions. And it can only happen as we're united by the love of God, by the Holy Spirit. The kind of unity that we're talking about is is a supernatural unity. We're going to look at some obstacles to unity, and then we're going to look at the solution to unity as we go through this a little bit more today. Um, In John chapter 17, his prayer, I want to go ahead and read uh, verses 20 through 23. I think it's the second. There you go. That it says, <clears throat> my prayer is not for them alone. And Jesus is praying for his disciples, but now he says, no, it's for, the disciples are going to follow them. So this is a prayer for us from the lips of Jesus. That ought to catch our attention right there. It's as if he's saying, Father, I pray for, and put your name in there. It's a prayer from, the, from Jesus' lips. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that they all may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. There's a key aspect to this unity, that they would be in unity so the world will know that I'm the one, I'm your son, that you sent me. How does that work? I don't know. But that kind of unity tells the world, confirms that Jesus is who he said he was. And it goes on and says, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. Unity. We talked a little bit last week, and I'm not going to go into this, but this type of unity is not just the absence of conflict. Okay? That's not what, it's so much bigger than that. An absence of conflict. Well, we're not screaming at each other. Have you ever noticed? Well, time for me to make confession again, I guess. Has there ever been moments in your marriage where you're not fighting, you're not yelling, you're not screaming at each other, you're not sleeping in separate rooms, but you know there's not unity right now? There's something that's in the way of perfect unity? Just because there's an absence of conflict doesn't mean you're in unity. And this is the kind of unity that he is talking about. Unity of spirit. We're on the same page, if you would. We have the same purpose. We have the same goals. We have the same mindset. It's not a uniformity. We don't all look alike. We don't all talk alike, walk alike, do the same thing. And that's it. We're all different. We're all different. 
different gifts, different talents. Not uniformity in that regard, but unity of purpose. And it can only come from the Holy Spirit living and dwelling in us. Whether it's in a church corporate gathering like this, or whether it's in your marriages, in your home. Unity. It doesn't come naturally. It requires work to maintain it. And again, notice, he says, it's a, it's, it's a unity by the Spirit of God. It's not our job to conjure it up. It's our, guy, our job to realize it's there in us when the Holy Spirit lives in us. And we're to keep that unity in peace, the unity of the Holy Spirit in peace. I want to turn to uh, uh, Book of Acts and just look briefly at, a, at what can happen when a church group, a group of people is in unity. I'm going to look first at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Acts chapter 2. And it, open your Bibles. I'm sure you've got them, right? You know, my son-in-law's church up in Bloomington, they don't put scriptures up there anymore. They want to encourage you to bring your Bibles, whether it's in an I, iPad or your phone or whatever, but bring your Bibles. My wife is challenging me to do that. So blame her if they disappear. <laughs> Verse 42. In the context that you're mostly aware of, they were told to wait in Jerusalem by the Lord before he ascended. He says, I want you to all go wait in Jerusalem until the power comes upon you. And they did. The power came. The Holy Spirit came. And Peter gives a sermon. Must have been a pretty good one. It was short. A lot of you remind me of that. It was short. 3,000 people got saved. What do you do with 3,000 people in the city of Jerusalem and all of a sudden where there was maybe maybe 120 if we're generous, and now there's 3,000. What do you do? You leave the city? No. Unity. I'm going to start reading in verse 42. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all, sharing them with all as anyone might have a need. And day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their numbers day by day those who were being saved. And then I want to jump to chapter 4, starting in verse 32. The church kept growing and growing. Then uh, Peter and John do the unthinkable. They, They go to the temple, and there's a crippled man, 40 years old. And they heal him. He gets up and walks. Nothing more offensive than a miracle, right? The leaders are really upset. They get arrested, even. And uh, Peter, they, at the threat of, of being imprisoned, they tell him, don't go and speak anymore about this man named Jesus. It's time for you to be quiet. Chapter 4, these, the threat and the release. 
I'm going to just read a couple verses I wasn't going to read. In verse 17 of chapter 4, it says, But in order that it may not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to any man in his name. That's the religious leaders plotting and planning to stop the message. And then it says, And when they summoned them, the disciples, Peter and John in particular here, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking what we have seen and heard. They had a passion for the gospel. They had a compassion for the same message that we are called to share with the world. They were passionate about it. They had a purpose to get it out there, to spread the good news of the message. At the threat of being arrested, thrown in jail, it doesn't matter. We're going to follow through with what God has for us. In verse 32, it starts out talking about unity. And it says, oh yeah, they gave that second sermon and I think 4,000 got saved that time. 4,000 men got saved. It doesn't tell us how many women and children. Verse 32, it says, And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart, one soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own. But all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And abundant grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them or bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet feet, and they would be distributed to each as they had need. Now, a lot of times when you read those two sections of Scripture, a lot of us are drawn to those simple phrases about they didn't own anything, they considered it all common, they sold whatever they needed to, and gave it to all who had need. Let me just remind you, it's not socialism, and it's not communism. Christianity is neither of those two things. If you read through those things, those things happened when there was a need. And it wasn't mandated by any organization. It wasn't mandated by the lead apostle. It wasn't commanded by anyone. It happened because of an internal change of heart. The people's attitude was changed. They loved unconditionally their brothers and sisters in Christ. It wasn't an organizational mandate whatsoever. When we see, even in the story of Ananias and Sapphira, they said, well, before you sold the land, wasn't it still your land? So it's not about, okay, everybody, this is where I go into the message. Now go sell all your stuff and give it to the church. Boy, are we going to build a big building. It's not that at all. What we're seeing here is they had a purpose, they had a passion, and there was a unity from the Holy Spirit living and dwelling in them, and their hearts were changed. And if they saw a need, they understood the truth that we all proclaim. Everything that we have belongs to God. Where there's a need, if God has supplied me that I can meet their need, my heart has been changed, I want to meet that need. Whatever the Lord puts on our heart. And that's what I want us to look at. That there there was a need, and they met the need, and it was never imposed on them. There's so much, I think, misuse of this section of scripture by ministries that it's never mandated it's never commanded it was never ordered to be a part of this you need this to be blessed you need to do this no the holy spirit worked in them changed them internally 
and they met the need. It was because of a unity that was brought about by the Holy Spirit in the heart of the people. If we're a gathering of believers, we have the Holy Spirit living and dwelling in us. And the Holy Spirit changes our heart as we respond to his leading, to his nudges. Notice verse four, or chapter 4, <clears throat> verse 32, it said, Not one of them claimed it, that it belonged to him. It was a voluntary decision that they made. The basis of this unity is found in Ephesians 4. Starting in verse 1, it says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in the manner worthy of your calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you are called with one hope, of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. The basis of our unity is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. However, one of the things that I have observed, and one of the things that I've experienced is keeping the unity of the Holy Spirit requires a great deal of effort. Have any of you noticed that? There are many obstacles that get in the way of obtaining that kind of unity. And I'm going to talk a little bit about the obstacles, and then I'm going to talk a little bit about the solution to those obstacles. First of all, the primary obstacle to keeping the unity of the Holy Spirit is selfishness. Selfishness. When we were created, when man was created, when Adam and Eve were created, they were in perfect unity with the Father and perfect unity with one another. That's how man was created to be. But when sin entered in, that was broken. And all of a sudden, man became very self-centered. That fallen nature, that old nature, that old man was, is selfish. It was all about me. Before we can possibly live in unity that the Bible is talking about here, that self-centeredness needs to be dealt with. And that is part of why Jesus came, to set us free from the tyranny of self because we can't do it on our own. We can't do it on our own. Man, if, I, if, if we would stand up here and say, you know what, you've got to kill 100% of the selfishness in your life and you're unsaved, it, I'm asking you to do the impossible. And if you're saved and I tell you to do that and you try to go out and do it in your own strength, you're going to fail. Every day. We can't do it in our own strength. It took the redemption. It took Jesus coming to, the, coming to earth, dying on that cross, to break the power of sin and death, to break that selfishness that was in us. And the Holy Spirit now lives in us. And it takes great humility for unity to exist. You know, really it takes a certain level of humility to have ever accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I mean, 
How many of us struggled with surrendering ourselves to the Lord? I can take care of me. I can handle it. I can solve the problem. Man, we resist. It's only by grace that you were saved through faith, not by works. We'd have never got there. Impossible. The whole law proved it. We couldn't get there. We had to humble ourselves at the cross. Accept Jesus' sacrifice on my behalf. Acknowledge I'm a sinner and I can't do anything about it. But Jesus can, and he did. And he died for me that I may become a new creature in Christ, the Holy Spirit living and dwelling in me, a source of power, a source of grace, that he told the disciples, don't go anywhere until you get that. Don't go. Don't go do it. And when it came upon them, they went out and they changed the world. It's always one of my favorite scriptures. This group of guys who have turned the world upside down. I'd just like to settle for southwest Minnesota. Let's be the church that turns southwest Minnesota upside down for Jesus. And then Costa Rica and then wherever else we go. Self-centeredness. Jesus came to set us free of that. And then there's another problem, another obstacle, and it's our culture. Our culture. I mean, there's bazillion-dollar advertising campaigns out there about self. Satisfy all your desires. Satisfy all your needs. Usually it comes under the label of, if you buy this product, you're going to be happier than you've ever been before. You've got to have this, or you're never going to experience happiness. Our culture is all about looking out for number one. It's all about me. It's all about me. Some of you have maybe heard the YouTube video where they take that song that we used to sing, It's All About You, Lord, and turn it around, It's All About Me. God, you're so lucky. You called me. We are a selfish people in a selfish culture, looking out for number one. The competitive nature of our culture to get to the top, step on, walk over, walk through, whoever you need to, to get there. There's nothing in that attitude that brings about unity. Nothing. Corporate structures that haven't understood this and they're still trying to feed that competitive thing to get people to reform at greater levels and then they wonder why in their culture there's all this backbiting and there is no unity, there's no culture that's going to thrust them forward. They don't get it. And in a church, it's the same way. If we are all running with different agendas, everybody's trying to get ahead, everybody's striving for position and responsibilities, it's just going to be a disaster. United by the Spirit goes against our culture. There's one other aspect of our culture that generations before us have never had to deal with. To be in unity, there needs to, we need to be out amongst the people. One of the great snares is causing people to withdraw and isolate. I'd say I'm talking to our teenagers especially, but it's not just them. It's, it can be any of us regardless of age. I believe one of the biggest traps the enemy is using, he always uses things that are good, right? And then he perverts it. All of our social media and electronic devices and cell phones. God, there was a lot of amens. Young people are throwing them away and stomping on them already. Think about it. 
Anybody know anybody that sits in front of a TV screen exercising their thumb for hours in a dark room playing a video game? I do. I'm not smart enough to play the video games. I have other issues. These things, they tend to draw us away from other people. No, no, that's not right, Mike. Pastor, what we do is I play in my room all alone with somebody over in Europe sitting in a room all by himself. We're fellowshipping. It's a lie. It's a trap. And this isn't just young people. The biggest market, if you watch the advertising, is geared to 30 to 35-year-olds. There's something wrong with us. How many of you put your phone on buzz and you know you just got a text in the middle of a church service sermon? Got to look. You can't stand not knowing. We're addicted. The dopamine's being released, just like when we smoke and drink and do drugs. Boy, especially if I'm getting likes, how many am I up to now? Oh, I feel good about myself. Look what they're having for dinner. <laughs> Does anything seem sick about any of that? Okay, that was not supposed to be a part of my message, but I couldn't resist. We're <laughs> I'm sorry, kids. If I unfollow you, that's because I'm sick of recipes. I don't care what you're having for breakfast either. Oh, geez. I got to get back to what I'm supposed to be here. <laughs> uh, where was I? Oh, major obstacle to unity people. <laughs> people. Have you ever noticed that people are an obstacle for me staying in unity? Ay, ay, ay. You know, it's easier to walk with Jesus than it is to walk with most people. He doesn't seem to mind when I offend him. He always forgives me. He's never offended me. Well, if he has, it's my fault. But people. You know, sometimes, anybody in here ever got their feelings hurt? <laughs> no, never. Oh, man. Some of you are just jerks. My wife would go, takes one to no one. <laughs> it's so easy to be offended by other people and get our feelings hurt. You know what? Sometimes we just need to yield our desires and yield our perceived rights to others and just let it go. There is no unity when you are offended. It's gone. Fortunately, there's a way to get it back if we want to. Sometimes... We hurt others and has to ask them for forgiveness. Anybody ever had to do that? That's a rhetorical question. Anybody ever had to do that? Ever, ever had to go to your spouse? Ever had to go to your children? Ever had to go to one of your peers and ask for forgiveness? Unity is at stake. It takes humility to do that. That's why when the scripture says, do whatever you can to fight for and maintain the unity of the spirit, it's hard to do. And self will interfere if we let it. And you know what? Sometimes we just have to flat out bear the weaknesses of other people if we're going to maintain unity. Not judge them. 
not tell them how foolish they are, how, f- how dumb that looks, or, you know. Just, there's weaknesses. I have weaknesses. You have weaknesses. Thank goodness that some of you, most of you, hopefully all of you, are willing to overlook my weaknesses so that we can stay in unity in the body of Christ. As you can see, people can be real obstacles to maintaining unity. However, the good news is there's a solution. And the solution is a four-letter word. Love. Love. We sang about it this morning, and the songs were so full of talking about the love of God. God gives us a new nature when we get born again. It had to start there. A new birth. That is the basis of unity in the body of Christ. If we have been born again, we are now united by the Holy Spirit. There is a unity that is available to every single one of us. Without love, it is impossible to maintain unity. You don't even have to like me, but if you love me, we can be in unity. If you're willing to overlook my weaknesses, we can be in unity. I can overlook your weaknesses. We can be in unity. When I offend you, I come to you and ask your forgiveness. We can be in unity and vice versa. All of those things. We can be in unity. I want to talk about very familiar scripture as I wind down here. In 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, right? We read it at lots of weddings. I want to let you know that it applies to way more than weddings, way more to marriages. It's about unity. 1 Corinthians 1, it says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I become nothing but a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all, my, all the mysteries and all knowledge and I have all faith as to remove mountains but I do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor and if I surrender my body to be burned but do not have love, it profits me nothing. That kind of love can only come from the Holy Spirit. It can only exist in the heart of someone who's been born again by the Spirit of God. And it's, it's, it's in there. If you're a Christian, it's already in you. It's there. As we go on in, in, in 1 Corinthians, look at how it defines the kind of love that will preserve unity. I, matter of fact, I guarantee you, I, don't, I guarantee you no matter what relationship you're in that's having problems, whether it's a marriage, in the workplace, you and your children, I don't care who it is, if you follow this mandate, unity will be restored. You don't have to spend a whole bunch of money on counseling if you just allow this to take place in your life. And it's already in you if you're a Christian. It says this, love is patient. Love is kind. It's not jealous. It does not brag and it's not arrogant. It does not act in an unbecoming way. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This kind of love that can only come from God never ever fails, ever. Just 
Throw that in all of your marriage counseling meetings. When you meet with your neighbor who comes to you because he sees something in your relationship, just say, hey, love him. I don't, I don't know how. What do you mean you don't know how? Let me show you how. Right here. Here it is. If these things are present in our relationship, there will be unity. Look at those things. And you can say, well, that's not me. You're right. But it's the Holy Spirit who lives in you. There's no excuse. I have no excuses. I can't just say it's a Swedish thing, a Norwegian thing, a German thing, or a Nelson thing. It's supposed to be the Holy Spirit in me. And I'm supposed to do everything I can to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The solution, love. Second aspect of this, having our hearts open to the influence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's in there. All of that is already in there. But I can't just ignore it. You can. We have the potential to. Every one of those aspects of love that I just read in 1 Corinthians 13, if you've heard me ever read that at a wedding, you know I always point this out. Every one of those requires a choice, an act of your will. The Holy Spirit can prompt me, and I've got to choose. And the reality is this. You might say, boy, oh boy, there's a lot of things listed. That's an awful lot of choices. Well, let me tell you this. You're already making a choice on every one of them. Patient or impatient? Which way is it going to go? Kind or unkind? Jealous or not jealous? Acting in an unbecoming way or acting in a godly way? We're already choosing. And the Holy Spirit is already in us, urging us, prompting us, speaking to us to act this way. And the grace is there to make the right choice because it's the Holy Spirit working in me. But I have to cooperate, keeping our hearts open. You know, when Jesus, in the book of Acts, chapter 1, when he told the disciples to wait in Jerusalem until they were endowed with this power from on high, guess what they did? They went and waited in Jerusalem. They obeyed. There's an aspect of obedience. It's not about getting saved. Hopefully we're already saved by grace through faith. But when the Holy Spirit's prompting me to be kind, gentle, loving, whatever it is, I need to obey. I need to respond in obedience. But it gets hard, and this is one of my concerns when we isolate ourselves or we withdraw from the body of Christ. When we isolate or withdraw from the body of Christ, we lose our support network. Notice what they did in Acts chapter 4. They devoted themselves, excuse me, chapter 2. It says they devoted themselves to teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. They did what was required to keep the unity in the bond of peace. That's why the scriptures tell us not to forsake the gathering of the brethren, not to build our attendance. It's because God knows we need each other. We need each other to speak into each other's lives, help hold us accountable so that we can fight for the unity of the Holy Spirit in us. It's our responsibility to obey and it's our responsibility to do the necessary things to do all that we can to preserve the unity of the Holy Spirit. So first of all, we had to be saved. We need to be open to hearing. 
And thirdly, we need to be very proactive in nurturing relationships, starting with our relationship with the Lord, but also with our relationship with our spouses, our family members, and one another. We are family, the body of Christ. We need to do what we can, be proactive. A couple of quick scriptures. Galatians 5.13. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only don't turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. Think about that. The whole law is fulfilled in one word in this statement. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The law is written in our heart. What is the law? It's all about love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. This love, it's a supernatural love. We get so used to the word love, we sing about love, and we we lose the impact of what it is to truly love with the love of God that's in us. Philippians 2, therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if there is any affection or any compassion, if there is any of those things, make my joy complete by being of the same mind. As Paul is writing this, he says, hey, if there is any of these things, make my joy complete, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body, one spirit. We need to rely on these things. Maintaining this love, united in spirit, intent on the purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus humbled himself. For us to stay in unity, for this love to be manifested, takes humility. The kind of humility only that can come through what we were understanding, what we were singing this morning. We are children of God. We're children of God. That's who we are. He's our Father. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to remain in unity as we listen to the Holy Spirit speaking in each one of our lives. Unity, purpose, passion. I'm going to close with one more little nugget. I think I shared this last week or a couple weeks ago about reaching people. Remember I mentioned rice? Any of you remember that? Feeding the hungry, giving them what they needed to, to feed them, and then sharing the good news of the gospel with them. And the point that was being made in that illustration was this. What the world needs and is starving for in our, our neighbors, our, our workers, our fellow workers, what, what they're starving for isn't rice. It's relationships. We need to be out there building relationships and those relationships will give us the opportunity to share the gospel. Great evangelism program. Love people. 
like Christ loved us. Watch their hearts open to the gospel message. They will want to know why you're the way you are. How do you do it? And you get to tell them. Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you and praise you that you, in your unbelievable wisdom and perfect plan, when you ascended to heaven, you sought the Father to send the Holy Spirit to live and dwell in each one of us. That we have the Spirit of God. We have God in us. God, the Holy Spirit, living and dwelling in us. Father, I thank you and praise you. I pray you would give us a greater sensitivity to the voice of the Holy Spirit in each one of our hearts. That we would hear that voice and we would respond. You would give us grace to respond in obedience. Do whatever it takes to to hang on to unity in our homes, in our families, in our marriages, in our churches. God, that we would be of one mind, that we would have one purpose, that our passion would be a great glory and honor to you. Lord, I thank you and praise you. I pray, God, even right now, that you would impress upon each one of us if there is somebody, if there is somebody that we are holding bitterness towards, you would reveal that to us now, that we would know where we need to go next to reestablish peace there, unity there. Give us grace to humble ourselves and ask for forgiveness. Lord, I pray that we as a body here in victory would be a body united by your Holy Spirit with a passion, with a passion to fulfill your command, to bring glory and honor to you and reach the world for Jesus. We praise you and thank you that the All the assets we need are available, living in us by the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, I pray all these things for his glory and honor. Amen.